Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights into making money in food. I'm Tara Johnson, the Tara's Way Lady, and we're here to talk to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food business. Good morning. Thanks for coming down, Leilani. Oh, sure. Good to talk to you, Tara. Yeah. So Leilani and I have known each other for um, a number of years now, so um, it's super fun to have you here. Um, Leilani is going to introduce herself because I don't even know exactly what your title is um, at Midwestern BioAg, and I've also known Leilani's dad for a long time, and he was the founder, right, of... Midwestern Biowagon with yes. some partners mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah. Yep. Gary and three partners started the company back in 1984. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think not a lot of people know about the company so and what it does. And I think it's really significant both for the state of Wisconsin and for, frankly, the planet. So, uh, Leilani, why don't you introduce yourself? Okay. Um, I'm Leilani Zimmer Durand. I've been working at Midwestern Bioag for 10 years, so I've worn a number of different hats. I was originally hired to be the director of research for the company. We do on-farm demonstration trials, some replicated plots on trials, and we work with universities and other third-party verified research institutions. So I've done that for a while. And then um, about three years ago, the original partners sold out. So um, we brought in investors, Mm -hmm. went through a big growth phase, are still going through a big growth phase. And so I've started working on new projects. So right now my title is Vice President of Education Initiatives. I'm on the business development team. Mm. And so we're just out there looking at new projects and new growth, and that's where my focus is right now. That's fantastic. And your dad wrote, um, with your help, I think, a series of books called The Biological Farmer, right? Yes. His initial book was The Biological Farmer, which he wrote um, in 1999. Okay. And then... I wrote a book with him in 2009 Mm -hmm. called Advancing Biological Farming. Okay. Um, And he travels and speaks all the time. He's a very charismatic, dynamic speaker. And all of his speeches are recorded. So I sat down and listened to about five years' worth of speeches and took all of the most interesting stories and most educational points and turned those into a book. And then just this last year, he and I um, did a revision of his initial book. Wow. The initial book was 365 pages. So he would always tell people, read a page a day and you'll finish my book in a year. <laughs> oh, funny. So that was sort of <laughs> And his that tagline. book is pretty dense, it right? Is yeah, dense. it is yes. dense. I was like, oh boy. Yeah. yeah. But when we did the revision, we took out some old stuff and we put in some new stuff. And now the book is 500 pages long. Oh. So you can no longer read a page a day and be finished in a year. Oh, year and a half. Yeah, oh, well. a year and a half. <laughs> and it's still dense. Yeah, and it's that still, book is still dense. dense. So yeah. that's kind of the Bible, right? That's the, yes. yeah. I did read it once, I will, I will confess. And I don't know how much of it actually... I, it, because it is very scientific, right? Yeah, it that is. it it's um, if you don't have that kind of a context in a way, it's difficult to retain a lot. I mean, so I retain enough to be dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally agree. That's why I wrote the book, Advancing Biological yeah. Farming, because we hear that from a lot of people. So that. The book that I wrote based on his stories is much more user friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, we always use that as an introductory book for new farmers that mm-hmm. we're working with or people who aren't in 
ag soil science industry, but are still interested in what we do because it is so much more user friendly. You know, there are stories about him having the spreader cart come unhitched and rolling backwards through the woods. And, you know, there are stories about farming with his father in his childhood and different experiments he's done on his own farm. So it's much more of a story rather than mm. the denser science mm-hmm. side. So I get to read that book. Yes. I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, now this is the big challenge for you. So um, of all of that, if you wanted to kind of summarize what biological farming is, um, I'm sure you are asked to do this all the time. Mm-hmm. So you get to do it again. Biological farming, in my opinion, and there are some various opinions, Mm -hmm. but in my opinion, biological farming is treating your farm like an ecosystem. So rather than looking at farming as I put a plant in the ground, I add a bunch of soluble nutrients, that's how my farm works, you look at the farm as a much more interconnected system. The soil has life in it. Your plant roots are interacting with that soil life. There are a lot of nutrients in your soil in various forms tied up with biology or soluble where your plants can take them up. And there are a lot of interactions between your soil life, your plant roots, the plants themselves, the plant health, what diseases those plants are attacked by, how they are resistant to them. So you're treating it as a whole system and you're looking at it as um, a long-term venture, right? Rather than this crop this year, you're thinking, what's my farm going to look like in 20 years? And how can I be building resiliency into my crops Mm -hmm. to handle climate extremes, which we see a lot of? And how can I be building soil health and plant health where I won't need as many chemical interventions? My whole system is healthier. Mm -hmm. So that's how I would define biological farming. Well, that that made a lot of sense. Um, I, I think about my yard that way sometimes. So sometimes I think that when <clears throat> in agriculture we talk about stuff it, and it, as it's related to large-scale agriculture, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of applications to a lot of this thought, I think, to gardeners. And I think gardeners are amazing forces for bringing things into the world, actually. So... Okay, so now we know what biological farming is. So now tell me what um, Midwestern Bioag is. Midwestern Bioag is a company that provides farmers with advice and with resources, fertilizers, a few crop protection things, um, mostly inputs to help that farm to be that more biological, sustainable, functioning farm system. So... um, We train all of our new consultants when they come in. They go through a pretty intensive six-week training course. Even if they have a degree in agronomy, we want them to sit down and start thinking a little bit more about the interconnectedness part of the farm. Obviously, we sell products, Mm -hmm. so we also teach them a lot about the products we sell, but also how those products are a little bit of a different take on what a farmer might normally hear from their co-op or their university extension advisor. So we focus a lot on how our products help support that that healthy farming system. And also, every farmer is a business, right? So how those products help that farmer's bottom line, right? right? How are we going to help them achieve soil and plant health? How are we going to help them move towards greater profitability on their farm? So I was at an event with your dad probably, oh, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago, something like that. And he said, you know, over the years we discovered that farmers don't buy services, but they buy inputs. Right. Right? So you do all this consulting work, Mm -hmm. and 
and you don't, most of the time you don't get paid for that, but you get paid for the inputs, right? Right, yeah. exactly. So our consultants do spend quite a bit of time with the farms they work with mm-hmm. and only get paid on the product sales. That yeah. is true. Isn't yes. that interesting? Yes. And, and if somebody works with a farm, do they work with them over years since it is kind of an ever-evolving Ecosystem. That's the goal. <laughs> that is the yeah. goal. You know, things change. Farms yeah, retire. They pass it down. Consultants find different jobs. Things change. But that is, that is the goal, that mm-hmm. we have um, consultants who work with farmers over a number of years mm-hmm. so they can see how that farm is evolving and improving over right, time. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, as you said, it's a biological process. Mm-hmm. That's Yeah. So where are these farms that you work with? We're centered in the Midwest. We have a main facility in Blue Mounds, Wisconsin. So that's Mm -hmm. our main fertilizer blending facility. And then we also have facilities in um, eastern Minnesota, in southern Michigan. uh, We have two facilities in um, eastern Iowa. We have one in northern Illinois. And then our latest facility, we just finished constructing a fertilizer uh, manufacturing facility in northwestern Indiana. Mm. It's if you take Highway 65 right. between Chicago and Indianapolis, yep. you drive past Fair Oaks Farms. Uh-huh. People call it the Disneyland of dairy farms because they have farm tours and they have a big convention center there and they have a really they good have a restaurant. convention center yeah, on a, big, a farm. It's a big I, what a meeting center. Yeah. They're in the process of building a huge hotel. I think it's like a 300-room hotel or something. It's this really big place to go wow. and learn more about dairy farms and eat good ice cream. And <laughs> Of course. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Yes. And they have a lot of cows there. So they have a digester. Mm-hmm. Right. Farmers are always thinking about nutrient management. Sure. And every state's a little bit different. I am not an expert on what nutrient management plants look like in Indiana. Right. But I do know that Mike McCluskey, the owner of the farm, thinks a lot about his impacts on the local communities and how he can be a better businessman and a better neighbor. Mm-hmm. So his digester, he takes all of the methane that comes off of it. It gets converted into uh, natural gas for his fleet. So mm-hmm. all of his vehicles are fueled on that. And then what comes out of the digester is... Phosphorus, um, right? Well, um, it's got nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium oh, okay. that, that comes through in, in mm-hmm. the liquid that liquid gets a polymer added to it, so mm-hmm. you get solid separation. Mm-hmm. The solids capture a percentage of the nutrients. A lot of the phosphorus gets captured. Mm-hmm. That dried solid part, then we take that, and we have this new facility, which is a new technology, where we're mm-hmm. taking this um, manure cake that mm-hmm. comes out of the digester, mixing it with some minerals, and turning it into a granulated fertilizer. Wow. So this was... Ten years ago, I was mm-hmm. on a um, steering committee for Dane County to put a digester in Dane County. It was a, a Kathleen Falk project. Mm-hmm. And we were always kind of struggling with what to do with what was left after right. the digester did its thing. So this is a big opportunity if it works, right? It is a very big opportunity because that is the downfall of digesters. You capture nutrient or you capture energy, energy but, the, but nutrients the nutrients are still there. Right. right. And then if all you do is dump it in in one place, it it's very it help. Yeah, it does not help. It doesn't help. And you have to find a way to move those nutrients. The problem is right. they're full of water, right? They're way too heavy. So transportation becomes a big issue. Mm -hmm. Smell is an issue. Mm -hmm. And then 
even getting farmers to use it, it can be very inconsistent in the mm -hmm. nutrient analysis of manure. Sure. So we're trying to solve that problem with our new facility Fam by taking the, that cake and a lot of those nutrients, drying them down, granulating them into something that's lighter weight, easier to transport. We add some other minerals so that we have a consistent NPK mm -hmm. plus trace mineral analysis in that mm -hmm. product. And now you can move it so it's not so centralized. Your nutrient concentration gets more dispersed. And frankly, the way agriculture is right now, we have a big problem with hot spots of way too many nutrients where the animals are and cold spots with not nearly enough nutrients. Manure is great for soil. Sure. So this is a way to try to transport that manure to farms that no longer have it because of how specialized agriculture has mm -hmm. become. Wow. So are you going to put it in little bags so I can put it in my yard? We might be, yes. Damn. That is one of the p projects <laughs> we're looking at. We'll have to see how that goes. Yes, but that, that might be coming. <laughs> well, I was, um, oh, what is it called? Stone Barns in New York. There's mm -hmm. a famous, um, uh, it, it, what is that, Blue Hill or something? The restaurant there is a famous restaurant, and it's on a farm in Westchester. And, you know, on a tiny little scale, they, mm -hmm. they were making compost, and it was just this big thing. And then they started putting it in bags for consumers. And that was like way off the charts, the most profitable part of the whole place. Oh, really? Probably. Yeah. 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 Yeah, because people like me, I mean, I'm like, okay, I want to do the right thing, but oh my God, you know, I, I'm not going to really test and I know I don't have trace minerals because yeah. nobody does. And yeah, this would be like awesome. Cool. Yes. Yeah. So this, the, you just finished construction of this? Yeah, it just finished... I want to say in May we finished and we had our grand opening. Oh, fantastic. Just a couple weeks ago, fantastic. middle of June, we had a big grand opening right. for the facility. I tell people you never have a grand opening right after you open. You have to wait you to have make to wait sure a that while. it's <laughs> clean and working. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Because right. we had a lot of people come through and we had a lot I of press bet. there. We wanted to make sure it looked good. <laughs> I bet, yeah. Opening. No, yes. of course. You yes. don't want the thing to not be working on the day that everybody's there. Right. Wow, that's great. So are you are you thinking about having more of these if it works or what's kind of the, the yeah, vision it's, here? Yeah, it's a new facility and um, our timing wasn't ideal for this year. As my dad likes to say, it's your Christmas tree in January. Right. <laughs> we, finished, yeah, right. we finished getting this up and running and the fertilizer looking good. After everybody planted Fertilized. this year. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. So, right. So we're spending this coming year out there marketing it, mm -hmm. getting it on farms, getting it into co-ops. We want to do um, a lot of wholesale distribution with this product mm -hmm. so that we can just get it out there into a lot of areas where we don't necessarily have our own consultants. Um, unlike a lot of the other things we do, which are based on consulting and really educating farmers, this product is much more standalone, mm -hmm. right? It's very easy to see the benefits of it. Mm -hmm. And there's just a ton of supporting research on the benefits of manure for healthy soils out sure. there. We, we don't really need to sell that story, right? That's already out there. Mm -hmm. And people know that manure is great for their crops. So this product mm -hmm. with manure and minerals right. in it is something that we can... We can wholesale because it kind of sells itself, right? Yeah. And and so you're going to have um, you're going to have a wholesale product that yes. can go through distribution. How exciting! Yes, yeah, it's new for us. Yeah. It's new, yeah. So are you helping with rolling that out to um, 
to co-ops and things? Is that part of no, what you do? No, that's not what I it's do. It's another we, group. That's, yes, we have a wholesale division in the right. company. No, no, because um, I'm on business development. This one's kind of developed. So I'm out there I looking see. for the next big thing. <laughs> I get it. I get yes. it. Yeah. 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 So when your dad started Midwestern Bioag, was did he contemplate all this? He's one of the most visionary people I've ever met. So, yes. yeah. He so, is he's visionary. He's always ahead of his time. Yeah. This is an idea that um, he started thinking about probably five or six years ago. It's something I remember we started talking about after going to an Acres USA conference. Mm-hmm. Um, you get so many ideas for those conferences because you get all kinds of different people there. You get your conventional farmers. You get big farmers. You get little farmers. You get livestock farmers. You get biodynamic farmers. You get really kooky, out there, energy of the earth farmers. Yeah, right. right, you, just, right. you get a whole suite of different types right. of people there. And so you get a lot of different ideas from these conferences. And so this was something we started talking about after talking to a number of different people mm-hmm. at a conference. It was like, wait a second. Yeah, a it's a idea. solution for everybody in yeah. a way. I think one of the one of the interesting things to me about agriculture has been um, I don't know, maybe in the last 10 years it's been, or maybe it's been around longer, but but there's been this sort of um, demonizing of, like, I don't like big agriculture, or I only like organic agriculture, or I hate organic agriculture, and mm-hmm. big, orga- and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And we've... We need opportunities to look at the big tent because, you know, the big tent above all of it, Mm -hmm. because if we don't have a diversity of agriculture, we're not going to have the infrastructure in rural communities to support any agriculture, right? It needs all of it. So it's exciting to hear that you're coming up. I mean, that your whole company, actually, even before you had this product, was, Mm -hmm. was really about supporting the whole diversity of agriculture. Yes, it is. We work with a lot of different kinds of farms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And do you do work overseas, too? A little bit, yes. Um, uh, Gary and I have been to South Africa. We have some farms there that we've worked with, and Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of biological farms in Australia. Really? It, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Of course, over there, if you say some, something is biological, it's what we would call organic. Oh, sure. <laughs> so, right. But there are a lot of farms over there that I think, you know, they have a lot more diversity of crops, especially when you get into the wider parts of Eastern Australia. Mm. And a lot more farmers thinking about sustainability. They have really crazy weather in Australia. <laughs> you know? it, oh, really? Oh, gosh. Really? Um, it's a lot of extremes? A lot of extremes. Mm. Horrible mm. droughts and then terrible floods. And wow. Yeah. Uh. They're in a rough spot in Australia. Right. For, right. So they think a lot about resiliency. I see. So we have a lot of, a lot of interest in a lot of farms we've worked mm-hmm. with in Australia. And then we have a new project right now going in the UK and Poland with some farms that are really looking at long-term sustainability uh, Poland's just an interesting story because it got um, very collectivized mm-hmm. after World War II. And then as that shifted over, a lot of those collective farms just got bought out by huge management companies. Interesting. Yeah. So now they're starting to look at, okay, this is how we farmed very conventionally over the last 40 years or so. Mm-hmm. Um Let's start thinking maybe a little differently. Let's start maybe thinking about what consumers are interested in. Because over there, just like in the States, Mm -hmm. consumers want to know about those farms. They want to know how people are growing things. They want to feel a connection to the farms. And they want Mm -hmm. to know those farmers are doing the right thing. 
So I think I think I'm trying to remember if I think it was Gary who said something again. This was probably five years ago, but he said something to me about how you guys were starting to work with the potato growers in Michigan. Am mm -hmm. I right about that? Yes. So so that to me that's just an interesting story, right? I mean, where we you guys came out of dairy, right? Right. Um, and so what about potatoes, like? Yeah, potatoes are an interesting crop. Anything that grows right there in the soil that you're going to eat that's in the soil has the potential to get attacked by a lot of diseases. Right? I see. <laughs> Any yeah. root crops are tricky. And so, you know, a lot of conventional potato growers use a lot of chemicals, mm -hmm. right? Fungicide applications are really common. A lot of them put on, um, before they'll plant potatoes, they put on pre-treatments, right? Pre-treatments, mm -hmm. killicides, right? right? They're killing right. just about everything because a lot, they're good guys in the soil, but there are a lot of pathogens. So potatoes are tricky. So potato growers, you know, it's a high value crop. Mm -hmm. um, and they really have to think about how they can make sure that that crop is healthy. So not only they get that good yield they want, but they can store it. Mm, because when you harvest right. the potatoes isn't when you eat them all, right? You have right. to store potatoes for like 11 months before you get that next crop in. So we've done a lot of work with different solutions for potato growers. Our solutions start with the soil. Mm. So we're looking at ways to make those soils healthy, to try to tip the balance in favor of the beneficial microbes. And we've had a lot of success. Um, a couple of the big potato we growers we work with in Michigan um, have been the, I don't know what you would call it, um, they sell to Frito-Lay, and Frito-Lay is very concerned with quality. Yeah, so Frito-Lay has told them over a couple of years that they are the best quality potatoes that of all of the Frito-Lay in that region. So the growers we work with over there really, really like the solutions we have for them. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it, and over time, it sounds like their, um, their cost of production will go down, right? Because they have to apply fewer um, fungicides and every chemicals, right? Potentially, I don't know. Yeah, potato growers tend to keep a lot of their information very close to the chest, yeah, so we I don't really it. know. <laughs> you would, you would think so. I don't know what they're spending on fungicides, right, and right. I don't know what that balance would be for mm -hmm, what what mm -hmm. we're offering. But the solution we're offering is definitely less chemical intensive, right? Which is always a good seller for a grower who's marketing to consumers, right? Sure. Consumers want to know that their food is healthy, right? Right. Yeah, we just hired a new agronomist who is in central Michigan, and mm. he's been working in the potato world for a while. Uh, he just started two weeks ago. But oh, good. Yeah, yeah. So one of his big projects is to help us grow our business with potato growers and to really look at what we have been doing, the successes mm -hmm. we've had, mm -hmm. and how we can help even move that forward, mm -hmm. um, looking at more, you know, biological, sure. less chemical solutions for potato growers to help with yield and quality. Sure, sure. Yeah. So I, I also remember a time when your dad told me that um, um, he said, you know, when we started working, it's like any the story of any entrepreneur, right? When mm -hmm. you start, you're kind of so glad you get any business at all, right? right? So you're in this phase where you're like, oh, my God, I got somebody actually called, you know? <laughs> yes. And then and, um, and he said, you know, in the beginning, we work with a lot of very small farms. Mm -hmm. And now we're working with some of the biggest farms in the country. So that has to be what an incredible experience. And it sounds like you've been, you've been a big part of that over the last 10 years. Yeah, right. The, 
the face of the farmers we're working with has definitely changed. I mean, the company started out and the farms we worked best with and how our whole consulting system and products were designed were for dairy farms that have between like 50 and 400 cows. Right. Which nowadays we'd consider that farming in the middle. Yeah. And that is just shrinking. I mean, we see those farms Mm -hmm. disappearing all the time. Right. Because a lot of people are getting out of dairying and then there's a lot more bigger farms. Mm -hmm. So the companies had to shift a lot because of that. And we've had to learn how to work with those bigger farmers Mm -hmm. because that is what you see. And a farmer who is farming for his own family thinks Mm -hmm. about it very differently than a farmer who's a businessman and is running tens of thousands of acres. Sure. So there's definitely been an adjustment. Yeah, I -hmm. bet. I bet. Yeah. Yeah. So... It's an incredible success story to me. My so my experience when I go to tech, you know, technology conferences and things in the state, um, we do a lot of software and biotech in this state. Mm-hmm. We also do a lot of agriculture, but agriculture isn't at any of those events. <laughs> and yeah. I, I'm not so sh- I'm not sure why. Like, do you consider yourself a technology company? We have unique algorithms that we've developed for working with farmers, for looking at their soils and coming up with a prescription for them, for um, balancing the soils themselves and for feeding their crops for optimum health and yields. But we don't really consider that a technology. Now, our new facility down in Indiana very much is a new technology. And that's not so much on the direct-to-farmer side. That's on the development of a product side. It is a new technology. But at the same time, I think of a technology conference as being computers. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. We don't funny? really think. Yeah, we don't yeah. really think we'd relate to that. Yeah. 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 And what what I think is interesting about it is that the technology people that they don't they they go agriculture. Up until this year, so what has changed this year is now all of a sudden ag tech is a thing, mm-hmm. right? And I think what people mean by ag tech, at least what the technology people seem to mean about tag, ag tech when they talk to me, is like, oh, yeah, we're going to use drones and apply them right. to something. It's some technology thing that they can imagine um, getting applied to agriculture. And um and they can't seem to think beyond that. And I was I was asking myself why this was the case. And I realized there aren't enough people who grew, actually work or grow, grew up on a farm to even know what problems there are on a farm, right? So you can't invent a company or a technology if you don't know what the problems are, right? That's true. Um, though, you know, it is interesting. The technology I see, you know, my brother is an organic farmer. And right, that's right. Not, I would never consider him tech savvy. I mean, he does have a computer. Oh, good. <laughs> and he has a cell phone, and he knows how to text. That's the only way to get a hold right. of him is by texting. And how big is his farm? He's Just... farming about 1,400 acres. Okay, so he's not a little he's farmer. Not a li- no, he's he's big, especially mm-hmm. considering he's an organic farm. Right, that's and, huge. And yeah. that's it's it, organic is different because of the way you do weed control. So it's more labor-intensive. 1,400 acres of organic is a big farm. It's a big farm. But... He has adopted a new technology for his farm this year. He went out and got an RTX system. What is an RTX An RTX system is basically GPS technology for his tractor. So he goes out and he maps a field, Mm -hmm. and then he links that to the computer system in his tractor. And so when he plants, he knows within, you know, 
inch or so accuracy exactly where those plants are. Then when he goes back and he's cultivating out weeds, right, organic, you don't use herbicides to kill weeds. You have to go back out there with mechanical control. He knows exactly where his plant rows are. So mm. now he can hook up that weed cultivator to this RTX system. And with precision technology, he can get the weeds out with a lot less loss of plants, right? In the old days, right, which right. were even two years ago, right? You, you had to be driving the tractor and kind of looking behind you to make sure that that cultivator was right in line and right, wasn't hitting any of your right. plants and you're really getting all the weeds and none of your crop. Now, with this new technology, it makes weed control a lot easier because the equipment can work much more precision. And I expect we're going to be seeing a lot of advances in that area, mm. even for farmers that aren't organic. Of course. Yeah, that benefits everybody. It does. And just drive around the countryside this year. I was really surprised. I went to pick up a friend who had a farm out way out there somewhere, northeastern Dane County. And there is so much giant ragweed in these fields this year. I mean, these are conventional growers who've been using herbicides for years, and they don't have a solution right now for giant ragweed. Well, a solution I've seen farmers using is they go out there, they spray their herbicide, the ragweed comes up, and they go and pull and a cultivator, mm -hmm. right? And they're mechanically old removing... Old school. Old school. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're mechanically removing weeds again. Yeah. So why not have a mix? Mm -hmm. We can drop the amount of herbicides we're using. We can do some mechanical control. It seems like there's some solutions out there that are going to be coming that are that kind of technology focused. Right, yeah. right. My my um, example of that, I don't know what you think about this, is um, the the grazers that I know, the dairy grazers are, you know, like every day they move their cows every 12 hours and they yes. give them a half a week or whatever it is yeah. and they have this like formula about it. But it's like, how, how do you know that they, you know, the, the condition of that half acre, like maybe they could be in there longer or maybe they could, you know, but it's some way of sensing the amount of moisture and the amount of forages. And it seems to me that a drone could do that, right? Could a drone do that? Maybe. You might need to get down on the ground uh, to look at your forage <laughs> density. I don't know. I don't know. Well, so much for that idea. <laughs> but I bet if you got yeah. a bunch of smart people working on that, yes. you could come up with a solution. Because that, to me, that's an that's a opportunity that... Um, because you, 12 hours moving your cows because that's what they do in New Zealand, you know? Because right. somehow it seems like we could probably do better. Yes. Right? Yeah, we probably could. We, I think we need robots. Robots. <laughs> I do. And, you know, yeah, we, how we've, exciting. We've worked with a company that has come up with robots that go between your rows mm -hmm. and can seed cover crops and pull weeds. And at this point, they're not great at it. But can't you just imagine unleashing thousands of little tiny robots that know the difference between your crop and weeds? And they just go there. Oh my Take care God. of the weed problem. I see then that you, future. Then you could have 10 acres of basil and not have yes. to be crawling around on your... Yeah. Yes. How cool is that, I actually? I know. I do think that robots are going to start changing agriculture, mm. too. There are just a lot of new things coming with the technology that we have right now in ag. So... We're not so done advancing yet. Of course not. <laughs> so what else? What else? Seriously. Yes. Seriously, what else do you see? Well, um, I do think the 
um, advantages of cropping diversity, right? Mm-hmm. We, we, we've known this for right. thousands of years. You've got to have a diversity out there, right? right? Look at how the ancient Aztecs used to farm. They didn't just have one plant growing. They had three or four different kinds of plants growing together. We know this works well. It works right. well for yields. It works well for pests. It works well for resiliency in case one crop gets wiped out. We went away from that, mm-hmm. you know, since World War II. Well, technology can allow us to go back to that in a better way. Mm. Diversity is great for your soils, for soil health, and thus for the health of your plants. Sure. Right now, it's it can be tricky. Um, you know, farmers who want to plant cover crops because they know the benefits don't always have a practical way of doing it, especially in the northern half of the states mm-hmm. where once you take your corn crop off, it's pretty late to plant right. a cover crop in the right. growing season. So interseeding, once your crop is up and you're not going to have such a competition problem, great. How do you do it? Fly on the seeds? Yeah, that works. Right. Not every year. And then maybe you wasted all that money on seed and airplane right. time. Right. Um, there are high boys that go above your crop and they dribble the seeds down in the row. Again. Oh, I've seen those yeah. things. I've looked at them going, wow, is that the craziest looking thing? Yeah. They're, 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 high, they're high and then they have these big spikes that come right. down and they're like, you know, eight feet down yeah, <laughs> or something. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. Yeah. For putting cover crops in yeah, between. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that can work, but again, maybe not every year. So maybe technology is, is mm-hmm. going to come up with some better solutions to make sure that we get good soil seed contact with whatever Mm -hmm. cover crops we're planting later in the season. Um, Shading is another problem. Mm -hmm. Um, My dad actually had the idea that you come in with, you wait till your corn's getting pretty big, maybe tassel, and you come in and you shave off some of the wheat, the leaves of your mm. corn crop in the row so that there's more sun for your cover crop to grow. Oh, interesting. How that impacts yield potential of your crop. I don't know. <laughs> You're losing some <laughs> it's one of those space. ideas. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> so, but some science, you know, what I love the idea of getting a bunch of engineering students around the country, like working on ideas yeah. like that, because um, you know, they, they, they work on ideas for, you know, solar cars or right. they do these contests, right? So, um, but we don't, we don't have the good, I, the good problems, as I call them, or opportunities, right, for technological mm-hmm. application to agriculture. They don't get to those contests. And then if they don't get to the contests, then the kids don't work on them. And right. then, it, you know, like, it's like this self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and there is a lot, a lot of room for technology to help us in ag right now. One of the problems I'm working on mm-hmm. and one of the problems I think it just I can't even talk about it without getting mad. We are importing so much possibly organic corn right. and beans from overseas. Right. Right? The, what was it? The Washington Post, New York Times. I don't remember who published that article. Mm. Right? Right. Where that they we exposed, don't really know. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that wasn't organic. It left Turkey as conventional. It showed up in the States as organic. Why the heck aren't we growing more of our own organic? Right. We have the capacity to right here in this country. Right. And there are some hurdles that farmers see as too large to jump over right mm-hmm. now. But we can come up with solutions for these. Mm -hmm. There's the financing side. Before Mm -hmm. you can go from conventional to organic, you have two years of transition. You're using all organic methods, but you're selling at conventional prices. So financing the transition is a problem that I am sure we can come up with a solution for that, right? We've got a lot of good financial lines. Yeah, and I I think that's a great example of something if – if the the business model were put together right for that farm, you could find money for that. Yes. Yeah. I, I agree. I, yes. I, yeah. So to me, that's a hurdle that we're going to find solutions for so right. we can get more of these big acres that are organic. A bigger hurdle that we're having trouble with, I think, is 
um, distribution, you know, mm-hmm. your, the processing for organic yes, is, is so dispersed and it's not necessarily where the organic farms are. Mm-hmm. Organic farms need livestock manure really to work because of the organic rules and what fertilizer inputs work best. So if you've got your farm not close to livestock, not close to processing, these are some tough problems, but we can come up with solutions for these. Right. We just, I think we need to get more focused. We need more of like the big companies that buy organic mm-hmm. grains um, to to care about this and to put some mm-hmm. energy, effort, and financial resources into helping us solve this problem. I just think it's a horrible, horrible shame such that we're importing all these grains mm-hmm. that might not even be organic. Right. Oh. Right. Just it. Yeah. Right. When we, we just, could be growing them we here. We could be growing them yeah. here. And it's a bigger profit margin yeah. for the farmers. Yeah. So I'm working with a young um, farmer right now who actually, you know him too. Mm-hmm. Um, um, he's working on Paul Bickford's farm mm-hmm. and he's um, he's trying to do his little piece of this, which is the aggregation of grain on the farm and yeah. um, over organic farm. Uh, it, it's I think what people have a hard time understanding is there's so many stages, right, between the time something happens on a, like you grow wheat on a farm, right? So you got to harvest it, and then where does it go? And Mm -hmm. then it has to get milled. It it has to get stored. It has to get clean. It has to get milled. It has, you know, there are all these steps, and people go, don't I just get flour, (laughs) you know? Right, no. Right, right. And then people don't make bread anymore, and there's all these, you know what I mean? There's just all these issues, but... um, but to me, I'm a hopeless entrepreneur. Those are all business opportunities, yes. honestly, to me. Because I do agree with you that the consumer is ready for this stuff. Yes. Absolutely. And frustrated that the, you know, that the products aren't coming to market fast enough in right. a way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's true. No. Yeah. So what, what else is on your radar that we should know about? <laughs> well... I think maybe another new direction we're going with Midwestern Bio is we'd always been a dry fertilizer company, Mm -hmm. and we've started getting more into the liquids and Mm -hmm. biologicals market. Microbiology is a huge area of new discovery and new technology right now. Right. And I think that, you know, you see this with big companies like Bayer and Mm -hmm. Monsanto and Syngenta, where they are starting to look at biological solutions rather than chemical solutions to problems in agriculture. So we've started looking at that more, too. Our philosophy has always been the biology is there in your soil. Mm -hmm. So if you feed it right and provide it with the plant diversity that it needs, different types of plants put different types of compounds through their roots. They're feeding different types of biology. So let's feed it some diversity. Let's make sure we're putting on that full suite of of, um, nutrient inputs your your, uh, soil microbes need. So then you get that healthy microbiology that way. Well, but maybe there are other ways that we can be adding things to. Right, if the the biology isn't there. Right, adding things to the soil, applying things to the Mm -hmm. plant leaves themselves. Mm. Um, So that is another really big area of technology. I like some of the the new biological solutions to pest problems that Mm. we're seeing, right? Organisms that are fungicides rather than chemicals that are Mm, fungicides. Interesting. Organisms that target certain type of pest insects. You can, I think, with the biology, you can be more targeted and you have fewer negative side effects. So there, I think there's a lot of new growth, new technology in in the biology side Mm -hmm. of agriculture, which is 
really good to see. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was in a meeting with somebody who um, was a, a plant um, agronomist kind of person who does a lot of consulting for big, you know, the Monsanto's of the world. And, and um, she brought up biological systems and mm-hmm. saying that we just are looking what has historically been organic approaches because the approaches that we've been taking aren't going to produce the resilience we need fast enough. So yeah. I thought that was was really interesting, right? Yes. And especially that it's um, she was speaking to a biological, a farm is a biological system, which yeah. always makes me think of you guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, if you notice, the people who are breaking all of the records on corn and bean yields, you know, they have those contests. Oh, every right. Year. Yeah. They don't just apply the NP and K that you would normally find Interesting. Right, for sale in your region, right? They mm-hmm. are going out there and they're applying the right amounts of trace minerals. They're applying biologicals. Mm-hmm. They're going in foliar feeding their plants. They are doing all these other things to mm-hmm. get those record-breaking yields. So it shows that what we've been doing isn't going to get us to those record-breaking yields. You know, you have to think differently and a big part of that is the biology and biologicals rather than just chemical solutions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So have we missed anything? I guess there's one other thing that comes to mind. So um, so I'm, I have my little, I live in, in Stoughton, little town. I've got a fairly small yard, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm like, like edible landscaping the hell out of it and yes. having fun like that. And I, I was thinking the other day, so how could I make my yard and my little raised beds, my, what I do, more, um, more biologically um, resilient, I'll mm-hmm. use that word. But um, so what, do you, what can you say to people like me? Like what could we do on our own little lifestyle scale? <laughs> I think you need to be applying inputs that have carbon in them, whether mm. it's compost or uh, humates products mm. that have carbon in them mm-hmm. because your soil, if it's just been a lawn for a long time, probably needs a little rebuilding, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. It's probably not. Our entire um, neighborhood is is overrun by Creeping Charlie this year. Yeah. I don't know what that means, but it means something. Yeah. Yeah, it means the conditions are right for Creeping it Charlie. Does. Like, know, we, like we've community. been in a borderline rainforest this summer, yes. right, with all this rain. And so, yeah, yeah it's, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's been a little wet again this year. So <laughs> I well, guess just a little, yeah. It. it apparently likes it a lot. So anyway, yes. I need to uh, some some fertilizers carbon. tied yep. to carbon. I think because carbon can hold on to nutrients mm-hmm. and then release them over time for your crop. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you just go and buy a ten 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 fertilizer from Menards, it's going to be pretty soluble. Mm-hmm. Your nitrogen's going to be available right now, and then it's going to fade away. Your phosphorus, you're going to get a little bit. Then it's going to tie up. Your potassium might last a little longer, but ideally, you want that tied to carbon where it's releasing over time Mm. to feed your plants, which is what organic matter naturally does as you build it in your soils. But getting some nutrients tied to a carbon source, making sure you don't only apply compost. If you look at the nutrient analysis of compost, it's pretty low. You need compost plus minerals Mm. and you want a balance of minerals. You want to have some trace minerals in there too. I always recommend to gardeners that they do a soil test, Mm -hmm. you know, farmer's soil test. And they think about what they've got in excess and mm-hmm. what they've got a deficiency of, and that's how they come up with their fertilizers. Mm-hmm. Gardeners often don't. They'll often just, you know, small square footage, just dump a bunch of stuff on, right. and you can end up with a lot of excesses of nutrients, mm-hmm. which can cause problems. 
So testing and make sure mm-hmm. you're applying the right amount for what you're growing is a good idea too. Cool. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to have to test. Yeah. I, I, you know, part of me thinks, oh my God, my raised beds, because I, I grow things so intensively, you know, yeah. that, that I'm like, I bet the soil basically changes every year in them because of all the, because I so heavily grow stuff. But yeah. Yes. Okay. I'm testing. That's a good idea. Yeah. I put cover crops in my raised beds. Do last you? Fall. Yeah. Ah, what did you put in? I had a mixed blend. It had oats in it and winter rye and a couple of legumes like a a batch and a pea and last fall it was warm until the middle of November so I was taking pictures of my raised beds in early November like look at this great cover crop I have it was so exciting (laughs) I know that's a little nerdy but I was very excited with my cover crop I bet (laughs) and then of course when it freezes most of it dies right and then the spring the rye comes back which is good. Then you just work that back in and plant your crop. So you've got like a little mini biological system in yeah, your raised bed. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to do that. Last year I had arugula in November in my raised bed. It was ridiculous because yeah. we didn't have a hard frost. I know. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was such a late fall. You just got to wonder what's going to happen this year. I know. I don't know. Well, I don't know. We might all float away. I've never... Oh, my God. I think we've gotten 12 inches of rain this month or something. Have we really? Yeah. We got six inches at my house this last week. Oh, my goodness. It's crazy. We live on a hill in a little neighborhood Mm -hmm. where, you know, then there's the bottom of the hill and... All the sidewalks are soaked because everybody's sump pumps are just going off at the bottom oh of the hill. Oh, I mean, boy. It's just, I bet. Oh, yeah, I bet. It's an outrageous amount of rain. Yeah. I told my brother I think he could probably safely plant rice on part of his farm. Oh, really? Because it's, oh, it's lowland by the creek. Yeah. So why not grow some organic rice right, in Wisconsin? Right. What the heck? At least this year. Yeah. Well, last year, too, was really wet. Yeah. Driving around the, the tobacco fields and things outside of Stoughton, they're just like water. Yeah. Right, standing water. So yeah, it's gonna be a lot of crop losses. Yeah, yeah. Well, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. You are such a visionary. You're yeah. like your dad. Um, incredible gift to the state and to the industry. And keep up the awesome work you do. Well, thank you, Tara. Yeah. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org.